I'm joined by Lester Holloway, uh, who works with the organization CLASS. Um, this is an organization that looks at issues of social and economic justice in the UK. Uh, good day. Uh, good day. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm good. And uh, yes, we're slap bang in the middle of a general election <laughs> campaign, um, yeah. and uh, there's a lot at stake. Uh, the Prime Minister himself uh, said so, but uh, I think uh, uh, for many people, uh, what, what's at stake is uh, is the future of uh, uh, their work, of the environment, and indeed of the uh, of the planet as, as a whole. Uh, we have uh, Labour, the Labour Party which is the party of the left, uh, that are promising uh, around um, £80 billion worth of, of investment uh, in the Green New Deal to transform the economy to create about a million uh, new jobs, uh, but also to, to shift power uh, from uh, workers, uh, to uh, from, from the bosses class, uh, to the workers with things like sectoral collective bargaining when it comes to setting uh, rates of pay, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, looking at... Uh, uh, creating uh, more uh, leave time for paternity, for maternity leave. Uh, so there's a whole range of different uh, radical measures uh, on employment and on environment uh, that Labour Party are, are pushing. And uh, they're up against the Conservatives, who are uh, the uh, party uh, in government at the moment, um, and the Liberal Democrats, uh, who are uh, in many ways the third party in England. Um, and uh, they are uh, the pro uh, remain party, so they are hanging all their hats uh, on uh, supporters of um, uh, re remaining in the European Union. Um, can thank you so much for that breakdown. Can you speak to us about uh, maybe first of all uh, a few economic issues which uh, your organization uh, focuses very heavily on? Um, the Conservatives have claimed that they're moving away from austerity. This is in the UK. Um, can, can you talk about what the reality is in terms of NHS, the National Health Service, and other public institutions? Um, there's been a lot of study about the ways in which slowly these public institutions um, have been sold off to the private sector. Um, this, of course, impacts low and middle income people, um, poor people very heavily. Can you detail some of these issues? Uh, well, yes. In many ways, uh, the public sector cuts, uh, which we, we call austerity, uh, is, is a slightly different issue with uh, privatization and, and marketization uh, that has occurred in, uh, in public services like the, the NHS. Uh, but they are both uh, big bones of, of contention. Uh, the NHS, uh, of course, is uh, a health service that's uh, uh, free, at the, uh, free at the point of use and has been so since uh, 1945 when it was created uh, by, by the first radical uh, Labour government, uh, but it's been under under attack. But uh, in many ways, it's uh, an attack by stealth. So there's been part privatisation uh, of the National Health Service that's uh, that's gone gone on uh, in tandem uh, with uh, cuts to to its overall. Uh, budget uh, uh, through austerity cuts, uh, which we've had since uh, the last nine years, uh, since the uh, the bankers' crash, and uh, and a combination of of the two of uh, of privatisation um, and at the same time of uh, cuts to day to day spending has really brought about a crisis within the, the national health service to the point in which uh, there are four million people uh, on wait who are on a waiting list that waits uh, more than six months uh, to to get seen or to to get an operation. Uh, there's an Increasing amounts of people that are uh, being left on trolleys and sometimes even uh, even dying 
uh, on trolleys. The, the National Health Service is, is the number one uh, concern at the moment uh, of the public, and rightly so. And the fact that we're having this election in the middle of uh, uh, the winter uh, uh, is bad news for the Conservatives uh, because uh, it's, uh, it, it, you know, uh, every, every winter um, there, there was a crisis in the National Health Service that uh, things get uh, get worse because obviously people get sick, get cold. It's a cold country. Um, and uh, and that is, is happening again this year, perhaps even worse this year because of accumulated, the accumulated impact of, of underfunding. And so uh, we've seen uh, uh, two or three times now in this election campaign where Boris Johnson has uh, uh, visited hospitals and has been been booed uh, as he enters or, or leaves the hospital. He's been challenged by uh, by the uh, father of a patient, um, and uh, it's, it's it's not gone well uh, for him when it comes to the NHS. Uh, when it comes to, uh, I think you, you asked right at the beginning about uh, what's really being being offered in terms of combating uh, austerity. Uh, the Conservatives really, uh, I think, partly this is speculation that is uh, a result of uh, uh, his. Uh, election guru uh, or two election gurus um, uh, Linton Crosby and also uh, Dominic Cummings uh, they've in a way sort of thrown uh, the fiscal rule book um, out of the, the window uh, when it comes to Tory uh, spending uh, pledges um, uh, they're claiming on one hand that they're still sticking by the fiscal rules but on the other hand they are uh, throwing a bit more uh, money at the uh, public health services uh, but it's short term uh, money. Uh, we've just seen the manifesto, the Tory manifesto, Conservative manifesto that came out um, over the weekend, and uh, it's only really pledging uh, 2.9 billion pounds um, extra for for public services. So it's quite modest, really, when it when it, when you compare it to uh, to Labour's offer, which is uh, about sort of 29 times. Uh, more, uh, but even that only really takes you to the level of public spending uh, that we had uh, ten years ago. So that really puts it in in context. So when people are saying that uh, you know Labour's found the magic money tree or magic money forest, uh, it's not, that's not really the case. It's it's taking us back to to where we were before. Uh, but there's a great deal more that will need to be done. A great deal more that will need to be spent uh, when it comes to um, uh, really reforming uh, Britain in, in a far more uh, radical way. And of course, I think. At that point, if we do get a Labour government, then uh, once the essential repairs have been made to uh, to public services that have been slashed uh, so much in the last uh, decade, uh, then there'll, there'll need to be an extra debate, uh, an additional debate at that time about uh, about further taxation, because uh, Labour are proposing uh, that it's only the the top five percent of. Um, uh, earners, uh, so those earning over £80,000 a year uh, who would be paying um, extra tax that uh, everyone under that threshold uh, will not be paying extra tax and they'll be, they'll be putting up corporation tax uh, more as well uh, to pay for it. So that pays for, because Labour's manifesto is fully costed, that pays for the £80 billion worth of pledges that they've made, uh, Labour's made in their manifesto. Uh, but, um, you know, the question is then, you know, what the next stage of that is. And of course, uh, that's really looking for in a way, uh, perhaps uh, beyond uh, the point where most people are looking simply because, uh, you know, we just don't know what the, the result of this election will be, uh, never mind the one after that. Um, it seems like there's a lot of uh, really um, long-term economic changes that are being proposed by the Labour Party in the UK in the context of this election in 2019. Um, 
generally the the media is really really focused not on these policy discussions of economic injustice investment in social services or public institutions and sort of the long-term impacts that austerity measures dating back to the 1990s or even before in the 80s of course under thatcher have of the role that those policies have played on the current situation Brexit really has been at the center instead. Um, can can you talk about the ways that social justice-oriented institutions like the one that you work for have tried to mediate or address the the discrepancy between what the media is focusing on and these sort of long-term issues that actually impact people's lives in very real ways? Well, I, mean, I think, thank like class, Centre for Labour and Social Studies. I mean, we, we, I don't think we have an impact in terms of shaping the public narrative quite in that way. Uh, we get called for for interview uh, because uh, the, the the British media sort of woke up uh, only sort of fairly recently that uh, most of the people that they counted as left uh, on their speed dials uh, were not in fact uh, left. They weren't really a part of the the Corbyn project. They didn't really speak for where the Labour Party, uh, Her Majesty's opposition, uh, were. Um, uh, or, or indeed are, and so they were sort of reaching out to uh, to, to new people. Um, but so we, we we tend to get asked about uh, issues which are framed uh, in it, not not necessarily in the way that uh, uh, people of the of the Corbynite left would uh, with ourselves um, frame it. Uh, but we try to get our, our message across. So so when it comes to uh, the world of work. Uh, we, we talk about uh, the fact that in Britain uh, we uh, uh, you know, pretty much um, are at the top of the, um, of the scale or the bottom of the scale when it comes to um, uh, looking at uh, comparisons with our OECD partners, when it comes to uh, issues of you know, how, uh, how stressed workers are. Uh, so we're, we're amongst the most stressed workers uh, in, in the Western world. Uh, we work the longest hours. Uh, we... Um, uh, uh, and uh, we, we, we have uh, some of the lowest entitlements when it comes to uh, uh, to a workers' rights, uh, and uh, and at the end of it, we get uh, less pension uh, than than most other countries. So so workers have a really bad deal of it, which is why it's such a major focus of of Labour's manifesto to try and uh, transform that. Uh, but I think that your your earlier question was was looking at uh, you know the extent to which the media uh, focus on social justice uh, issues, and I think that there are many issues that are you know very much top of um, uh, the uh, consciousness of of the left that don't really make it so much into the media. Uh, for example, the the impacts of additional deaths uh, as calculated uh, by. Um, uh, but by the Lancet, I believe, uh, they calculated there were over 100,000 extra deaths that were caused as a result of uh, public sector spending cuts. Um, some of those, for example, are about benefit sanctions. Uh, the introduction of universal credit has meant uh, many people have been uh, paid far less in, in benefits than they got previously, and uh, some people have... Um, gone hungry some people have committed suicide uh, it's been a, been an awful awful situation so so that level of of impact on the ground on individuals uh, i think has been largely overlooked uh, in the in the debate um, and we have been preoccupied as you rightly say with with brexit uh, and the twists and turns of uh, whether or not we leave the european union and in what form um, so that's been sort of um, 
preoccupying uh, public debate for, for a very, very long time. And uh, what we find as well with the, the Liberal Democrats, uh, who were in coalition, they were a junior, junior partner between 2010 and 2015, when the bulk of the austerity cuts were made, uh, is that uh, they are hanging their hat uh, on, uh, on Brexit alone, as I think I mentioned right at the very beginning, but trying to, to run away from questions about the impact of, uh, of, of austerity. Uh, but the, the two are, are related, and this is one of the points that, that we often make at class, uh, which is that uh, austerity, uh, Brexit would not have happened without austerity, uh, because what austerity has done is it's crystallized and, uh, and increased uh, the frustration, of, particularly of um, uh, elements of the, or parts of the, the British working class, uh, who just really feel that they had nothing to lose, uh, that the status quo was uh, was pretty bad for, for them, uh, that the, the, the north-south divide in Britain, the regional divide is, uh, is very, very stark, that social mobility uh, is uh, pretty much non-existent, um, uh, at which the, the, the Social Mobility Commission, uh, which the government uh, commissions has actually found. Um, so with all of that, with lack of opportunity, uh, with, uh, with, with, you know, suffering at work, Work with uh, you know the introduction of zero hours contracts and uh, and the replacement of uh, a, a stable industrialized uh, manufacturing jobs uh, with um, uh, uh, less favorable jobs when it comes to uh, call centers and when it comes to uh, uh, zero hours uh, you know the gig economy um, you know, all of that all of that has had a, a really profound impact on on the working class and uh, those are many of the reasons why. Uh, the support for Brexit in some of those northern uh, northern heartlands uh, was as it is, and I firmly believe that uh, and other people do as well. Uh, without austerity, uh, there would be no Brexit. Thank you so much for framing it that way. Um, without austerity, there would be no Brexit. Um, I mean, there would, there would still be uh, an anti-European sentiment. I mean, don't get me wrong, because uh, uh, the, the media, uh, by the, when I say the media, I really mean the, the printed press, uh, the newspapers, which are, which are largely controlled by uh, uh, multi-millionaires and billionaires. Um, and uh, the, the broadcast media in, in Britain and TV and radio tends to feed off the content and the stories of, of, the, of, the, of the printed press. Uh, they've been pushing an anti-European narrative for a very, very long time. In fact, Boris Johnson, and our Prime Minister, when he was a journalist, uh, was, was really uh, in the lead. He was a pioneer when it came to making up stories about, uh, about Europe and uh, sort of meddling Europe and uh, sort of, you know, insisting on straight bananas and all sorts of uh, nonsense like that. Uh, so so that, that agenda has really been built up over a very, a very long time. Um, but, um, you know, that agenda uh, by those uh, millionaires and billionaires um, is sort of coincides with the sort of Brexit which they, they want, which is that they want a, they want a Brexit, uh, which, you know, makes us more like Singapore, that's where, where we are a country of, of low regulation, where, you know, we, um, uh, we can effectively be, uh, you know, or turn into some kind of tax haven. Uh, but at the same time, they, they don't want uh, sort of, uh, so much of a uh, global and sort of interconnected uh, globalism. Uh, what they want is, uh, is, is, is in many ways, um, uh, neoliberalism in one country, which is uh, certainly the um, phraseology that uh, was used by um, uh, Paul Mason in his recent uh, book. Um, uh, so, so that kind of neoliberalism in one country is really the combination of uh, the, the insular uh, nature of 
of Brexiteers, uh, at the same time uh, wanting to to exploit uh, workers and to uh, and to continue to manifest inequality uh, in the way that they have uh, in in the past, but actually mo- even more so today. We're on the line with Lester Holloway from the. Um organization class uh, based in the UK. Thank you. Um, Maybe last, I I just wanted to ask you if you could highlight some of the work that you're doing at class and, um, and yeah, and just sort of um, share with people uh, some of the studies and efforts that you've been making to highlight some of the issues you're addressing. Oh gosh, there's so many. (laughs) It's like uh, where to begin, really. Uh, Well, we've done studies on executive pay uh, called the Fat Cat Report, uh, where we've looked at um, some uh, proposals in relation to taxation about uh, excessive pay uh, from uh, executives of uh, FTSE FTSE 100 companies. Uh, We look at a lot about workers' rights, as I I mentioned earlier. Uh, We've done work on universities further in higher education, uh, where we've really been looking at reimagining the the sector uh, without um, the marketization that we've seen over the recent... Because, I mean, universities themselves even colleges have uh, become businesses uh, to a large extent. They become, they're, they're failing the students. Uh, they're also failing many lecturers that are, are also being exploited uh, as, uh, uh, as, uh, as they, they're all on short-term, or many of them are on short-term contracts. Uh, so we, we're asking the question about what universities uh, are really for, uh, trying to, to redesign, uh, redesign it in, in that way. Uh, we're doing work on that. We've done work on automation, uh, which is actually dovetails with... Um, uh, education because uh, Britain has a declining number of uh, adult learners um, and and that in a way is an indicator uh, that we're not being we're not preparing ourselves for the inevitable um, uh, change of automation which is going to have a profound impact on uh, on our uh, on our economy uh, it already is of course but it's going to to accelerate um, and uh, what what we don't often hear about which is some certainly work that we've done at class uh, is to talk about the the impact of not preparing for uh, for automation calculating what the social costs will be uh, of uh, you know, mass unemployment uh, of um, uh, the sort of social other social problems that will be brought about by by increased uh, inequality which is why uh, class uh, and many uh, trade unions as well are actually saying that when it when we we are looking forward into the future to to a world where we're increasingly automated where we're increasingly reliant on on uh, AI uh, technology, uh, that there has really got to be a fair and equitable distribution of the of the proceeds of uh, uh, of that technology that's got to be shared with with workers. And I think that uh, some of those sentiments, uh, I mean, it's not quite explicit in relation to that uh, in the Labour manifesto, uh, but but I think it's moving uh, very much in that direction. That uh, uh, that you know, it is really about um, saying that the economy will change. But, you know, there's no reason why it should not change uh, for the better. And the only way it's going to change for the better uh, is, quite frankly, if workers have a greater um, stake in, uh, in, uh, in society and in their companies, which is why there's proposals coming forward, uh, you know, in this election for Labour to, um, uh, to have uh, more workers on boards, to, to, to have uh, 10% of shares uh, to talk to workers, uh, and, uh, and other measures as well uh, that have slightly escaped my mind at the moment, uh, in order to, uh, to, to, to ensure that uh, it's the people, the workers, uh, who are um, uh, both sharing in the, in the proceeds of, uh, uh, and, and the wealth, 
uh, but also helping to direct the strategy as well and to uh, to move the country uh, forward uh, in the right direction. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. People can find uh, work at uh, the work that you were addressing at classonline.org.uk. Lester Holloway joining us from the UK. Thanks again. Thank you.